0: talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными Ваш ведущий Олиар.
1: I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show today. Brett Petticord is here. Brett is a, an open source contributor. He's a Twitter researcher. He's a software architect, worked in tech for years and years. He's written a book on software testing. He's also my new neighbor in the Hudson Valley. We'll talk about that a little bit in the interview, but he and I have gone out for beers a couple times. Every time, super fascinating conversation. He just knows so much stuff about that world, the world of Silicon Valley, the world of big tech that I personally don't know that much about. I mean, I asked him questions like, what is an algorithm really? Like things like that, that sort of elude my understanding. So he was kind enough to come on and talk to me again about stuff he'd already talked to me about over beers for you guys so that you can hear what he has to say. Because Brett is evangelical about the issue of data and data stealing and, and, and ethics in tech. Silicon Valley, the show, on, on the, the last season of, of that show... There was a joke where Gavin Belson, who's like the, kind of the Jeff Bezosy guy, the fake, you know, the character on the show, um, leaves Hooley, which is the company he founded, to start um, a not-for-profit that focuses on tech ethics, which he calls Tethics. And it's, it's a funny joke because, first of all, Tethics is such a stupid word. Even saying it kind of makes you laugh. But it's also funny because there is no ethics there. Tech and ethics, as currently constituted, just don't get along. There's no internal controls, and Brett knows about this, he wants people to be more aware of it, and he was gracious enough to come on the show, sit down with me, do this interview so that you guys can hear the stuff that blew my mind about, especially Facebook and the nefarious shit those people have been up to. Fascinating interview. We cover data, we cover the Pegasus scandal. Remember when, when people were hacking into the phones using that software that was readily available, like... Hostile foreign powers were using software to hack into people's phones, stuff like that. We talk about that a little bit. We talk about ethics and tech. We talk about the history of software and how um, at one time women did actually work in the software field and got sort of pushed out and lots of other things besides. So Roman Empire, we talk about that (laughs) a tiny bit. Anyway, it's a fascinating interview. We'll sit down and have beers again real soon and talk about the uh, response (laughs) to this, which I think is going to be great. So anyway, we'll be right back with my friend, Brett Petticord. Hey, it's Nunzio Siccarelli, president of the Bank of the Bada Bing, Jersey's finest financial services firm. I'm here to tell you about a new online dating app made by wise guys for wise guys. Mobster. That's Mobster, without the E, because who the fuck knows why? Need to replace your gumad? Looking for a date for your big weekend in Boca? Did Christiani Allen quit as your press secretary? Whether you're an enforcer, a racket guy, some corrupt attorney or judge, or the head of one of the five families, Mobster's the best place to find some action. And hey, we won't sell your data like that lying sack of shit Mark Zuckerberg. Some people got ethics mobster you swipe left i'll break your fucking hand and now back to the show brett pedicord welcome to prevail hi there glad to be here thanks for thanks for coming on it's kind of a funny story how we met which is that you moved to the town where i live which i will not disclose (laughs) okay um I can, it doesn't matter. Uh, right but right as, as quarantine was beginning. And then you were really serious about the quarantine. And recently, as people started to be able to not wear masks outside and this and that, we decided to go hang out. And so we've gone out a couple of times, had some beers. And the first time that I saw you, I listened to you talk for two seconds. And I was like, oh my God, can you do a voice on the?" <laughs> <laughs> on the show, so people listening to this who have really followed the Prevail podcast carefully will recognize your voice because you were Jeffrey Tubin uh, talking about, about masturbating on the Zoom call, which is a great, uh, a great way to kick to kick things off. So,
0: yeah, I decided you were testimony me, seeing how far I would go, <laughs> and I figured, what the hell?
1: You were you were a very good sport about it, and I thank you. But, you know, comedy demands that we. Uh, <laughs> that we do certain things, you know, we have to, we have to be willing to um, humiliate ourselves in public occasionally for the sake of comedy. It's, 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 it's something I, I, I believe most dearly. Um, <laughs> so, but in the context of going out and hanging out with you, you are, in addition to being a really good Twitter resource, which is, I knew that already, you have a really interesting background and you know a lot about things I don't know a lot about, which is mostly big tech, Silicon Valley, and that whole world. And as we went through and talked about some things, um, I was just totally fascinated. I was like, we have to have you on the podcast because other people need to know this. And you were, again, a good sport and here you are. So the first question that I have is, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, who are you? How do you know about all this stuff?
0: So I'm a software engineer, software developer. I've been working in the business decades I started pretty much right after when I got out of college and I've been doing it for that long both my parents are computer programmers so I'm second generation and um, 2.0 yeah yeah so I was raised with computers my father was a career IBMer both my parents um, wrote software that ran on spaceships Right now, everyone's like, oh, space, why aren't we getting excited? And to me, that's just normal, because that's what I was raised in. There were space programmers. And uh, I started writing and speaking in in software uh, about 20 years ago. uh, And I wrote a book, and I went to Circuit, and I talked a lot about software testing and how we make software better, and just a lot of the principles of building good software. I spoke to other developers in the field, other people who were hired by companies to build software and say, here's how we do a better job of it. So I was doing that, I have a book out um, called Lessons Learned in Software Testing um, you can get it on Amazon and I was just doing that for a long time but to do that you have to have kind of faith and hope in what you're building and I started kind of losing that as I l- saw more and more about what was going on and I think that's kind of what we've talked about is me seeing these changes from the inside and then you know what does it look like from the outside as, um, as software kind of takes over everything.
1: Right. Because it's, it's something that it's one of those things that if you don't work in that industry and your brain doesn't work that way, it's really difficult to understand. I think Uh, coming from somebody who is, you know, I have technical skills to a degree, you know, I can do like WordPress plugins and, but then once it gets to a certain level of it, my brain turns off and refuses to function anymore. And that's the end of it. So a lot, and I think one of the problems or the challenges that we're facing in in our society at the moment is that our lawmakers don't understand this shit either. So there's a very select group of people and maybe it's a large group of people, but it's it's a group of people that understand the applications and the underlying technology. And most people really don't. They just understand how it is good or how it is bad, but the actual tech and the application stuff you know, it's Greek to me, as they say. So, but g- going back, um, uh, you talked about your parents. So, one of the things you told me that was interesting is that there are cycles of um, where women work in tech and in Silicon Valley. And this idea of, oh, let's get, let's encourage women and minorities, people of color to get these tech jobs and, and, and make the, the industry more diverse is actually something that has happened before and it's almost like a boom or bust cycle. You told me that when your mother was in this field, when your parents were doing it, software was actually the provenance of women because it was considered soft and it was the hardware was what the dudes were doing. So talk about that a little bit. Did I get yeah. it right? Did I, yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, so that, I mean, it's, we see this statistically at one layer and anecdotally at additional layers. Um, a lot of the original software developers were women who were working with their husbands or with their boyfriends or with someone else who would take the credit for what they would do. So you would have um, that kind of thing going on. You've probably heard about this in other contexts. Um, so you have that kind of a history of that. And then, you know, when, in the 80s, when my mother got a master's degree in computer science. Um, that was a popular major for women. I believe at the time, I saw a statistic on this the other day. I think it was up around forty percent of the degrees were given to women, and it was actually there were more women in computer science than there was either in math or physics. Those were less popular with women, and you know, at, in general, that I don't know what to say. That those all of, all three of those have been less than other majors and other fields in terms of their attractiveness to women in terms of the numbers. But they've gone down, down, down. And right now, you know, if you just look at computer science degrees coming out of school, there's less women uh, interested, you know, there's less women getting them than either physics or, well, any any other, any other degree. It's the least popular, period.
1: Do you think that's because of the culture that's built up around that, perpetuated by like, you know, dudes that go on the, the old BBS
0: forums and talk about Rush all the time? You know, I think, one, let me tell you one story about something that happened. Um, back in two thousand and seven, there was uh, an educator, uh, software developer. She was kind of in the same circles I was when I was out speaking. I didn't know her personally, but I knew of her and I had read her book. Her name was Kathy Sierra, and she was a Java developer. She and she was kind of an innovative educator, learning better ways to communicate. So she's very prominent. And she was also very pretty and she was blonde and she was attacked for that reason it was one of the first cases of just pure harassment she got death threats she was doxxed. her address was published social security number came out and it became the first kind of debate about what happens when this kind of harassment happens and basically nothing happened
1: yeah
0: right and so and so what's happened there but you know this was Done on a female programmer, and then this style of doxing and attack and harassment it, it was used. To, the same thing happened in Gamergate. Same people were involved, and then those same people have per, you know taken that kind of harassment, which was originally targeted at women in software development, then women in game development, and then you know now it's just women in politics or anyone who's getting involved somewhere they don't want. They just go out and attack them. So I do think it's kind of connected. I mean, the software business. There was debates. This is all in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. What do we do? How do we do this? You know, whatever. And she just dropped out. She was just like, "I'm done with this."
1: Which is, uh, you know, a terrible loss because you have somebody who's, you know, really good and 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 prominent and and being chased away by uh, morons, basically.
0: Well, and and she was. It was clearly an example, right? This was a this yeah. was a high tech lynching where someone who was not following someone's rules for what they were allowed to be was attacked for it i mean she had her address get published she was worried about the safety of her family sure yeah because i mean people are crazy you know they they really are well and she was getting death threats what happened this stuff was organized there was people behind it those same people this is why i started listening to you guys because i started i needed help connecting the dots between the parts that i knew about and the rest of this whole thing
1: yeah, it was a coordinated attack on her is what you're saying. And an early coordinated attack. So possibly one of the things we could go back to and look at and, and study to see what happened and who was involved, I, you know. Right. Talk a little bit about gamergate because I've seen this before. I've read about it in a cursory way and I don't my understanding is it's just a bunch of um, misogynistic tech guys going after women for being women. But what 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 exactly is it?
0: I think it it was a test run of um, propaganda as a military weapon, Mm. and so because the people behind it, you've got Steve Bannon was involved in games. He had they were building troll farms that were that point were using farming were farming for resources, virtual resources in Warcraft or whatever the heck games they were playing back then. And so that's what I think it was. I think it, you know, in, in retrospect, we didn't see it that way. We saw, oh, it's just this one-off thing, but it was the it was same people that was, that was going after Kathy. We're now doing this Gamergate thing, right? And now those same people are building facial recognition databases.
1: What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> um, so something else that we talked about that I thought was interesting you you know enough, obviously, about software development that you can go look at the job listings and read the descriptions of what kind of developers they're looking for. And based on what you read, you know what they're building, which strikes me as interesting. Um, t- talk about that a little bit. Like, how has that evolved over time, I
0: guess, is you know. Like, what are they building and what kind of jobs do they have out there? And yeah, I mean, what you, you see a lot of hiring of machine learning. That's a, that's a skill that you see. That's a skill that I developed recently. And it's very much in demand. And it's just basically the way to create large amounts of data and turn it into algorithms. And that's what machine learning is. So okay. you harvest a whole bunch of data of a certain type, and then you try to figure out, okay, what's a lesson we want to learn from it?
1: Okay, so pretend that I'm a complete moron. Yeah. What is an algorithm? Because that's a word we, we hear a lot.
0: Well, so probably the biggest algorithm you ever see is the Google search, uh, search algorithm, right? right. So Goog- Google has to decide what is it going to give you and in what order. And that order is really, really important, right? Sure. So it's, so it's, a, so it's, a, it's really a, a ranking algorithm is what it is. It's ranking. It's giving you a ranked answer. And you see that all over the place. Um, You see that your Facebook feed, it decides what do I show you first? In Twitter, what do I show you first? Gmail is gonna show you, what do I see first? So there's that ranking algorithm that's built into all these things. And in the old days we would just put things in chronological order and that's how we did it. But now every one of those has a trained, complicated, tuned algorithm behind it that where they decide what is it that you want to see? What's important to you? What's, you know, what goes first into your feed?
1: And it's not, I guess, algorithms are not inherently good or bad. They just are. Because if I go on a, um, on Twitter, say, there are accounts that I am more interested in reading than others. And it kind of, I guess, over time, based on who I interact with, tries to guess or knows. It's very strange.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the thing. 20 years ago, everything was just in chronological order. I remember. Right? <laughs> yeah. And everyone was getting a little overwhelmed, you know, or you'd have in mailboxes boxes and go through it. And then people started building some of their own filters and some of these email tools or different tools, you could filter your stuff and you could find things that way. But then what we started getting are these smart filters, rankers, whatever you want to call it. I mean, algorithm is a mathematical term, which means, you know, just any mathematics, you know, just any uh, sequence of calculations, but these algorithms we're talking about in these, you know, that we're talking about these companies are saying, are they good or bad? What's the effect of these algorithms that we're talking about? These are mostly machine learning algorithms that we're talking about, uh, or there are other type of rank and sort. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of math, a lot of computation that goes into these.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think by and large, they probably do work okay for, for what, for what they are, but Certainly on Twitter, um, I usually just use the regular Twitter app, either on my phone or my or, or my laptop. What I see on my phone is different than what I see on my laptop often, right? And right. it updates better on my phone, but the mail, the DMs work better on the laptop for some reason. I don't know why. Um, one time I tried to use TweetDeck. I think it's TweetDeck, uh-huh. which is a different like Twitter allows other appla- you know, companies uh-huh. to use the application and pull it in. And that actually has the capability to just show it chronological and in real time. And right. I think I have so many followers that it's like it's like watching a fast-forwarded version of the end credits of a movie. Like it goes by so fast, it's impossible to process everything. So, you know, it is necessary in a sense to, to have that, I guess.
0: I, I think it, yes, I think it definitely... Has made computers tolerable because they were kind of overwhelming before. You had to set up your own system of tracking the information. And I was relatively good at that kind of thing, because I'm a software kind of person. Yeah. So I was fine with it. But a lot of other people were like, I can't figure out the computers. And putting in that um, you know, and then adding these layers, like for a long time, and it, it was we were trying to, to make user-friendly, and we were trying to make it, but there was a certain point where it kind of flipped. And I think it was like when you do a Google search and you type, and then it 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 finishes it for you. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the amount of calculation and you know that goes into that is intense, right? And it's just doing it as just to give you a suggestion. And so that shows you, like, when we got to that point, was when it really changed. And now you just have to look at who's making those decisions. How are they making decisions for you? The, the big thing you see in some of the radicalization issues that we've talked about have to do with suggestions. People get suggested into these dark corners of the internet.
1: Right, right.
0: And those are being suggested by the algorithms. And Mm -hmm. so that's one one of the examples of where we really have to be careful about this. Obviously, they want to feed ads into the stream. That's part of what they're all doing. So that's part of it. But then they're also throwing, and they're always like, oh, well, maybe you want to subscribe to this channel or maybe you want this other thing. And so there's that type of suggestibility of suggesting things outside. It's tricky because it's like, okay, are those political ads? Are those commercial ads? Are they just... uh, Straight up Russian disinformation. Well, yeah. exactly, and that's. I think that's the thing is those are really, in the past, we've seen those as three different things. And now, any of, anything can be any one of those things, right? Is it a foreign info op? And and we thought, okay, well, campaigns should be regulated this one way, and we'll have this one rule about how campaign ads are done. Or we know it can be abused, so we'll kind of keep track of it. Blah 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 blah. And then we did something else about, well, commercial product ads. Okay, well, here's how they, that's allowed. Here's how that can be tracked. But now all of those things are on social media all the time. It's totally embedded. There's no tracking of it. And and then you get these, these algorithms, these suggestibility. So are you being fed something for because of an ulterior motive?
1: I mean, it's interesting to see how this stuff works because this week I went online and I bought things for the first time in a while. I bought like a hoodie. And I bought, I was looking, I told you before we went online, I was looking at armoires online and I bought some shoes, whatever. I bought a couple of things I don't usually buy. And I went to check my Facebook, which I don't do very often. And it's like right in the feed, there's the ad for the, you know, the website that I already visited to look at this hoodie. Right. I, you know, I don't know. I, first of all, don't ever buy a toilet online because they'll just give you toilet ads for a week and a half. Oh, you know? I know. I, yeah, yeah I've, I've done these before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, but I don't, how exactly does that work? Like I'm on Google, I Google search this thing, I look for that. How does Facebook know what I've looked for in Google search? Is it, you know, really, how do they know? I I get that they know, I just,
0: how? Well, I made a card on this, so I'm glad you asked the question. Oh, Um, in April 2010, Facebook introduces the like button and it, quote, is not for user tracking, except it was for user tracking. Right. right? And they did this in April 2010 after their first infusion of cash from Russia and before their second infusion of cash from Russia. They added the ability to track you across websites outside of the Facebook ecosystem. Up until that point, they did not have it.
1: Okay. So it came with the like button or soon after the like button?
0: The like button is a track has a tracking beacon built. It's hidden in it. It's mm. basically a bug. It's a bugged button. Okay. There's okay. a lawsuit over this right now. It's in federal court.
1: Interesting. But how, okay. But how does Facebook, if I don't like anything on Facebook ever, how do they know that i this hoodie company whose website I was on, how can they pull that in from Google or is it just integrated somehow
0: well, maybe that, or maybe you were on another site. Yeah, there's these cookies is what, the, I mean, it's all cookie technology. So so here's the thing. And this week, a week ago, uh, Apple introduced the ability to turn off that capability on your iPhone. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So up until now, they were able to do it technically, whether it was ethical is under debate. It's being debated in federal court, whether it's legal. and um, But now it's no longer... Technically possible because Apple's latest update to their iPhones blocked it, and so you just have to go into your phone and say, "I don't have an iPhone." But I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't done it. But it, you just go in and say, "Don't, don't, don't track me across apps," and then it won't let you do it. Okay. So, you know, they, they're storing a cookie is what it's is the technical name for it. Um, you know, on the pages, and because. They've got code on everybody's pages because the like button has has Facebook code inside it. Okay. So there's a little Facebook spy inside that like button on whatever page you see it. So any button, any page that has a face like button on it is. See, think uh, of that as a camera. Think of yeah, that as yeah. like a camera watching- You mean it. a like button
1: anywhere. So not just a like button on Facebook, but if I go to a site that has- a facebook like button ah yes. okay so i just had my aha moment now okay yeah every site has a facebook like button except well, you know, was, my site does not my prevail site does not. okay
0: well that's good that's good <laughs> because that means facebook cannot track people onto your site
1: good good
0: but yeah yeah okay. that's how it works
1: okay that makes sense so interesting okay and you don't have a you don't have an iphone which means which i can tell because i do have an iphone and when i text you your text back is green and not blue so i don't know you know it, green it makes it it's not quite as nice the color green they've picked a shittier you know less appealing color on purpose as if we're, we're laughing at you people that don't have an iphone but now yeah. if you have an android phone though you're more likely to get spied on by the, the Pegasus uh, software, right? Because I was gonna ask you that later, but I'll ask you
0: that now. What, what, what's your thinking about all that? Like, can My, you... Well, we know a lot more about the iPhone than the Android. So that's the first thing to say. So we know that a lot, that a lot of iPhones have been, have been hacked with zero, um, zero touch, zero click hacks. Um, on the iPhone, that they have that capability. It has happened, it's been tracked. The iPhone um, has better logging. So it's easier to tell if an iPhone has been hacked than an Android. Ah, okay. So we're a little bit more in the dark about on Android. We don't really have hard evidence that they have a zero click hack on Android. We know that they have a one click hack on Android. Um, and we know that they have made attempts on Android phones, so uh, I, I don't know if um, I mean, right now, it's it's the, the iPhone is vulnerable to it, and we know that, and Android probably is, too.
1: So can they uh, and by they, I mean the, the, these spyware companies. It's like Pegasus is the name of the software, right? And what, what's the name of the company? Is NSO, I think? And this, the spyware enables these bad actors, mostly hostile foreign countries and, and and so on, to penetrate the phone and then do lots of stuff with it. So they can they can spy on you using your camera and listen to you using the microphone and check your emails and your texts and whatever else you've got on there, they can theoretically penetrate that. And again, this happened to Jeff Bezos, right? His phone got hacked, right? I-
0: I, his phone did get hacked, but I think it might have been software from a different company that hacked it.
1: Okay. I mean, that, this is MBS it, stuff. It's, it's, it's all part of the Khashoggi. It's all of
0: part of the same gang of crooks, but, um, but it might not be Pegasus. It might have been a different one, but it's the okay. same type of software. That's certainly true. I mean, they have this, they call it spyware and yeah, it can take over your phone and you're right. It, it can, they can turn on your microphone. It can turn on your camera. And it can, take, it can take your files from you. It can copy all your files. It can put files on your phone. There's mm. people who've gotten death threats on their phones because all of a sudden a picture or a file shows up with something and they're like, oh, shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, not, not good. But okay, so if somebody who had this sophisticated software even has your cell phone number, right, and nothing else, it's possible to hack their phone just by knowing the number? I'm thinking about when Trump said Lindsey Graham's cell phone number. Yeah, at yeah. a press conference, and now suddenly everybody knew his cell phone number.
0: Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So we've had one-click hacks for a long time, especially in iMessage. The reality is, the high-value targets are more likely to use iPhones. I think. Yeah. For these, you know, um, these heads of states and those type of people. That's the phone they're all going to have, right? The Android is a little bit more of an offbeat thing, so yeah, those—that's what they want. I mean, you saw the Macron's phone was on the list.
1: I'm thinking about when Donald Trump—he said Lindsey Graham's phone number when out he loud.
0: Said it. I don't know if we had zero-click exploits at that time. Okay. I'm still unclear about that. Those are a fairly recent um, innovation. There's really a pretty rare. Uh, These zero-day, zero-click—you know—that people don't know about. So I think that was kind of the technical surprise in this latest announcement was, was the degree to which they have these zero click zero days.
1: What do you think, when you heard the news about this Pegasus thing, what was your initial reaction? What kind of applications did you think of? I'm just trying to, you know, you as a, as a software developer and, and and a computer scientist. What,
0: well, to what, what me, it wasn't new. To me, it was like, finally, people are going to, deal with this seriously because okay. i've kind of known that this is happening this isn't a surprise there's like i said the, the, the fact that they have these zero clicks um that's a little bit scary and i guess that's a little bit news but okay. other than that the fact that they're doing this that they they've built a platform that they're selling it to to these totalitarian rulers and all these scary countries um yeah i think a lot of us have known about that and have been talking about it and you know, what what we got this time was that list of numbers. The thing about the zero days, like it was like a couple of things happened for this story to all of a sudden that many people have been looking into for a long time became like news.
1: Okay, yeah, that happens. I know exactly what, you know,
0: yeah. You know, and so that was the thing, like it wasn't, I mean, the big thing was that the Citizen Labs people in Toronto um, working with the the, uh, Amnesty International they they did the, they did the forensic analysis right so okay. they got the phones from some of these people including the Khashoggi um, uh, yeah
1: his, his wife and his fiance and
0: yeah his guy. his his contacts um, they were able to get that and so that confirmation is at a level up until now we've known this is going on we've seen it we understand the capability of it but you couldn't quite point to proof to say this they you know, someone used this software to target this person on this phone in this country on this day Mm. at this location, right? And that level specificity and being able to tie it, especially as we can right now to cases which do not meet our definitions of fighting criminals and terrorism.
1: Right, right.
0: Right. So that's, that's, I think what's finally happened. It's not a surprise that these people are using the software. I mean, that's, you know, that's how in many of these countries, just challenging the authority of men is that's, well, that's horrible. That's makes you an enemy of the state. So of course you're a terrorist. So yeah, we'll bug your phone, but that's, you know, from inside their thinking, right. From us. So I, I think, we have to think about the response here because, you know, our ally is allowing this to happen. Yeah. yeah. And to me, we have to see this. And I think they see it as a munition. It's a type of weapon. Absolutely. It's, you know, and it can be used to attack certain types of targets. Mm-hmm. And um, we need, we need to start having conversations, I think, with other countries and with other people about who should be allowed, how do these things work? What kind of tracking, what protocols are? It's like, You know, because right now, like what I see at NSO they're saying, oh, well, it wasn't used for this. It wasn't used for this. It wasn't used for this. But then it's also like, well, how do you know it's not being used for this? Because you don't actually, as far as I can tell, it's been hard coded not to work with any UK or US phone numbers or geolocations. Interesting. Okay. But other than that, it's all everything is based on the honor system that's that's what i that's what i can tell from what yeah no i
1: i read that too it's like they have to they have to promise not to misuse it in any in any sort of way yeah whatever you do don't uh yeah pinky
0: swear that you're that you're only going to use it when you have a good reason
1: yeah yeah that now this is a good segue to the thing i want to talk about next but before we get there we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back with brett petticord
0: season two of Swing Left's How We Win is here. We have an incredible opportunity to fight for our democracy. We don't
1: agonize, we organize. And we've got a lot of work to do. Subscribe right now on Apple and everywhere you get your pods for insight, action, and your reasons for
0: hope. I'm Steve Pearson.
1: And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is season season two
0: of How How We Win. Win.
1: Okay, we're back with Brett Petticord. It was a really fun, (laughs) engaging break. Um, Okay. I want to talk about Facebook and Google and and Silicon Valley in general. And, you know, Google is a company that started off with their slogan, you know, don't be evil, whatever it was.
0: Right. How
1: do they get to be evil? And why is Facebook such horrible Russian malware? And... What we've talked about, you and I, and and how you've explained it to me, is that there's a lack of regulation of federal oversight into any of this stuff. And it's basically like the Wild West. And there's very little financial incentive for any of these companies to rein in their excesses. Is that accurate? Um, I don't know. Talk a little bit about all this stuff. That's a huge question,
0: I realize. (laughs) So it's kind of like, how did we get here? And how did we get that, And, you know, I, yeah. and, and I, I was with it. I mean, I, there was a time I was extremely positive. I was eager that when the web came out, I was like, this is going to be good. We're going to, more people will be able to share information. Sharing information is good. Um, and, and I was very active. Uh, I, I was active in the community. I, I was part of open source projects, which had contributors around the world. And we were able to contribute with people from other time zones and far away because the software tools were there. You know, not only the communication tools and emails and texts and whatever, but then we had the development environments too, so we could share code and we could do development that way. So, I thought it was great. And I just thought it was terrific. and I thought that we're making it easier to buy things online, you know, and for a long time, I was a big Amazon fan, and then I was a big Google fan. And I was always slow on the Apple side, and I was, you know, I went back and forth on Microsoft. So all these companies, you know, you have to think about, okay, which ones are the best ones and the bad ones. And, yeah, you know, my, I told you my, my father was a career IBMer. So for him, IBM was God. That was the family. That was what I was raised in. And then, you know, they had their antitrust battles. And I remember watching that whole battle with them and Apple and Microsoft and all in the early days and keeping, keeping an eye on that. I was fascinated by it. So You know, back then, like even up until say the turn of the century, up to two thousand, I remember software was just can you make anything work at all, get it out the door, and there was basically two forms of unethical behavior that you saw sometimes. One was monopolism—that's what IBM and Microsoft have been accused of—and the other was just promising to deliver shit before it was ready and having mistakes. And I remember feeling like that was horrible. It happened all the time and you'd make jokes about it. There's Gilbert's about it, about the sales guy, just, you know, added of the new feature and now you got to put it in and you're going to have to be working up nights. So that was the thing. And then I felt like a lot of that played out in the oddies, I guess, if you want to call them that from like 2000 yeah. to 2000, well, it was really till 2007 or eight, right? There was, was a bit of a hiccup but then it continued to grow you continue to have the software and more things were put online email became really popular in that time i would say in 2000 most people maybe had a little bit of email that wasn't a big deal but by you know 10 years later everybody was living out of their email pets right 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 and so you saw that take over like they finally got it and then you know everyone was getting spam and you know so people at least you know, instead of having junk mail, you had that, the problem had just transmogrified from the, (laughs) right. So instead of having piles of junk mail, now you had spam. Right. And that's, those were your first algorithms. Those are your first real, you know, what we're talking, we're talking about was your spam filters. Yeah, Yeah. And I remember building my own spam filters and trying to program them because I was had that problem early. I was on email and I was trying to get rid of them. And then You know, in Google, gee, that was the thing about Gmail is it had these great spam filters. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I was an early adopter for that. And I was like, this is great. This is all fine. So, you know, the question about how, that's a question I've been asking of how did things go wrong on this, right? Where did, and as far as I can tell, it's because people have been owned by the mob. is what's happening, it's, it's mob money. Mob money has come in to high tech and I think that's part of it too. What I saw a couple of years ago that was making me feel like something wasn't right in the whole field um, was just, I, I had been at maybe a hundred different companies. I used to be a consultant, I would get around. yeah. And you'd always see a similar thing where the, the people at the top of the companies Well, my theory right now is that they weren't telling the minions what the real plan was because they didn't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think was happening over and over and over again. So that wasn't a problem 30 years ago, 20 years ago. You didn't have what was happening was that people were lying about how shit would get done. Right. So that's what I saw. It's just a sense of, okay, there's a disconnect here. And um, and that's kind of my feeling right now, because. I started thinking about, you know, what are the ethics? How do I know if, soft, if what I'm doing is right or wrong? There's really not a strong ethical guidance in my field. I think that was one of the things I noticed in 2019, when I really started looking into this thing, I started following the Mueller investigation. And then I saw some of the, uh, the testimony from Zinman a bunch of Ukraine. And I started learning um, at the same time, um, my daughter was uh, intern at the State Department and so I was just learning like, okay, here's how a government agency works and there's the protocols and there's rules for information. And there's just not a lot of that in the software world. There's a little bit, but there's not a lot of it. And so yeah. people just kind of do whatever and you don't really have the sense of, of and, and that's what I realized. Like, and so so the data, there's no internal controls on the data.
1: Okay. There's no internal controls in the data. That well, seems like a big,
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's whatever controls you want to put in place. It's up to the company to decide. Right. And they're always changing them. There are controls, but there's always being changed. And there's always, and and that's the thing. And there's no, like, there's no auditability. There's no standards outside of it. And that's to me where I feel like we probably need to have something like that because the data, you know, that's being trusted at these places, well, if someone goes in and, accesses it inappropriately, I don't know. I don't know the answers on this thing, but I I feel like it's, and like you said, it's, you can't have, you know, congressmen who don't even understand, you know, how their phone works or, you know, how, whether it's on or not making these rules. And that's a lot of what, what we have right now is that we, people don't really understand the rules. So one of the things that happened in 1996 or so was that that was when section 230, was made into law
1: oh yeah talk about that because this is one of these things that they talk about that literally no one understands outside of the tech world
0: i've tried to understand i'm going to try to give you a explanation but that's i'm trying to think of like what happened between now and then i'm thinking well we didn't have any of these problems before section 230 came out
1: Mm, okay that's
0: what i'm thinking in my head as you ask your question as we talk about these things until it came out so section 230 section 230 of the Original Many Millennium Copyright Act or something like that. It's, um, it provides publisher liability if um, if it's online. So basically, something that would be um, illegal or or that you could be liable for for like defamation or for you know and you could sue for damages. Yeah. If you put it in a newspaper. But if that same message is put online on a website, it, the, the, um,
1: it indemnifies the company, the platform that allows you to put that out there. Right, right, right. And so, so Facebook, so, so if somebody writes something for the Washington Post and, the, and it's defamatory and they get sued, the Washington Post is liable. But if somebody writes something on Facebook, Facebook can't be sued they're like, we're just a platform, man. We're just free speech. Anybody can say anything. We don't want to free speech, free speech, they say. So that's the difference, right?
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so what's happened is, you know, one of the reasons we have, I've done some reading in history. And at one point we didn't have defamation of character. We didn't have any of these rules and people could just publish whatever. Yeah. And, um, And it was chaos. So people, so they made rules around, okay, well, if you do this, this, and this. And we decided to create these exceptions for high-tech companies. And one of the reasons they said time was, well, let's just we'll try it out and we'll see how it works. And we can change it later. Right. And I feel like that's where we are right now. Like we've seen how it plays out. We can debate why it was done the way it was done. We can debate whether it was a good idea or not. But what we really should need to look forward is we have to say what's and to me those protections should only be in place if there's the reasons for it the the general justification for that indemnification is that you want to platforms to make an effort to do effective and helpful moderation
1: right right
0: but if there is no but that's not the law that's just the rationale right there's no law i think that's that's my view is you should put that in you should say oh you only get you only get those protections if you actually are doing a good job of moderating yeah and we Forget. don't know and we define that so here's what that means here you know there's a notification period there's a takedown period whatever it is because there's a very detailed protocol if something is a copyright violation yeah right so the way the law is written right now is copyright violations or you know we saw that before where the cops were play, playing Britney Spears, yeah, um, yeah, right? Because they were trying to hit this because you know Instagram had filters that would automatically block content that was going to get them in trouble right. with the DMCA. Well, why do we have a law where the DMCA takedown rules are very strict and you have to respond really quickly? But harassment, where you're actually harassing an individual person and causing direct personal harm. That goes through a lower priority, less interesting yeah. type of a path.
1: And the answer is money. I mean, the answer is money. There's no, the only financial incentive that Facebook or Twitter or anybody else has to moderate at all is because they want the users to be happy. The, the, the customers, which are us, you know, the people using the platform they want us to continue to use the platform and we demand a certain amount of moderation, but they're doing it for that. And it's, it's weak sauce, you know, unless there is a financial incentive for them to do it such as, hey, um, you know, if, if YouTube has a Britney Spears song up there that is violates the copyright protections, they can get in trouble. So that's why they take it down it has to be something similar to that with some of this stuff, I guess. I, I don't know what the, what the answer is, but right now it seems like there's no, there's no rules at all. It's like you said before, it's, it's the honor system. And these people do not have honor. You know, the, the people in charge seem very much wanting in the honor department as I see it.
0: Well, I think it varies from company to company, um, but you're right. They all of them are playing kind of a mass game. What, one of the things that, people are confused about is that these platforms have declared themselves to be neutral platforms which is their choice they don't have to choose that and then they say we try to be fair which they're not doing and which is a lie and it's irrelevant because they're allowed to be biased so it's a whole kind of game where that you're getting involved with them and the reality is if you want to have you know a channel that's only for people who you are a certain thing you can do that and it can be a political idea it can be a ethnicity you, you're allowed to discriminate in view in content all of that stuff on an online publication because part of the problem right now is that we only have you know four or five or six major social media platforms yeah i think what we really need is about 100 yeah and then you know we could just go and the ones that have bad policies we could not go to And that's part of what happens is is they, but they keep it so that doesn't happen. The fact that Facebook's been allowed to acquire Instagram undermines that type of choice.
1: This is also on my my list of questions to ask because you talked about that. Not only does Facebook not want to have a bunch of different platforms, they acquired one of the platforms and their developers are making it harder to separate Facebook and Instagram. So if the federal government decides to write a law saying, no, you have to break this down. You have to have firewalls between this company and that company. They're going to turn around and say, well, we can't do that because it's too complicated. And the Congress people will not know if they're lying or not. Cause they don't know anything. Chuck Grassley doesn't know how, you know, the the Facebook, Instagram technical hookup works. And he'd be inclined to side with the, the evil people anyway. So, um, you know, that that speaks to your point. The, these
0: companies know that this is coming, I think, maybe, and they're trying to... I think so. I mean, you know, with the, if just the news that happened today, it does seem like things are moving. I think for me, you know, when I started realizing what was going on, I had to see through the ways in which the media was subverted and certain messages were not able to come out through the mainstream media, and then see how the political parties were subverted and how there were members of both parties who were you know and and so and then to see the subversion happening on the high tech and say okay because that's the big thing was the, all of the software development processes you have always assume that you don't have an enemy spy in the room with you working on the development process <laughs> And that's essentially the world I now realize we're in where you don't know if one of the shareholders, is, you know, allied to some hostile foreign power who's going to, you know, put one of their agents into one of your teams. And I'm pretty sure that's how some of these exploits have happened in these recent, you know, like the SolarWinds one. I think that's, to me, I looked at that one pretty closely and it looked likely that they had outsourced uh, development to an Eastern European team to save money that was subverted by a hostile foreign intelligence service.
1: Yeah, outsourcing it seems to be a an issue. I mean that that that's how that's how Snowden got to you know get into the NSA and steal
0: all the shit he stole. Um, that's right. He yeah. he never worked for the CIA. He worked or the NSA. He worked for a contractor working for the. Booz NSA. Booz Allen. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned the mob money before, and I think we should be more specific. Uh, you know what you're referring to, which is the infusion of Russian oligarch capital into these companies like Facebook and Twitter back in the day, right?
0: Well, that's one piece of it. The other piece of it, um, which is also documented by the FBI is that the, a lot of the venture capital that is coming in to fund startups is also comes from the mob. It's also dirty money.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes and sense. And
0: so, so and so that's my thinking, you know, is you know, it took me a long time to find out about the Russian stuff but it's like, okay, that happened. And then now it's still coming in. And so to me, I, I mean, one of the things that I would tell people I was working with before was, you know, what does the money want? Where's the, where's the money coming from mm-hmm. and what's the intentions behind the money? And that was how you figure out what's really going on. Yeah. And, you know, well, you know, if it's, if it is dirty money, that's being laundered, and that's what's happening. Is, is venture capital through Silicon Valley and through Hollywood. It's the same system. Uh, both of they use it to launder money. Yeah. So you have these people. They have a lot of money. So they're, they're paying at a crazy evaluations. They don't care. Right. But they also are like you know they want you to make risky, really risky moves, which is not typically what engineers want to do. Engineers t- typically are. Around engineering for safety and building margins and being careful and making things work. And so that to me, that explains some of that tension that I often see at different companies between the you know those founders, if you look at it from that that mm. angle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What now I, I don't go on Facebook very much because it I first I think it's the interface is really hideous and I don't like the color blue that they use. It's just it's just a it's just an ugly system and i don't i i I try not to go on there but occasionally i'll see um lists of oh this is the this is the most popular thing on facebook today and it's always some ben shapiro thing and i how much of this do you think is just rigged because does ben shapiro really have as many people following him or interested in him as he seems to do you think or or is it one of these things where bad actors are gaming the system much 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 like um you know trump jr's book triggered was on the new york times bestseller list because you know the the rnc or whoever bought a whole shit ton of copies and it it just poisoned the system
0: well i i don't i don't i don't really know the answer um what i do know is it's very hard to get answers for this for facebook well yeah um, Twitter has an open API for researchers. So researchers can hook you in and you can get this kind of data. Facebook actively sues researchers who try to figure this kind of, these kind of questions out. Mm. So they do not like the idea of independent validation of that data. Yeah. So to me, I can speculate on your answer, but the real answer is we don't know and Facebook doesn't want us to know. And so what do you think that means?
1: I think it's because it's faked. I think it's bullshit. I, I can't, you know, I get that there are MAGA people in the country. You know, I, I, I wish everybody listening to this could see the look on your face right now because it's, it's great. Um, I get that there are people that voted for Trump. I get that there are racist jerks. I get that there are MAGA. I don't understand how somebody like this twerp Ben Shapiro has a as big a following as he appears to have. I don't I don't understand it. I even get, I get Rogan. I get some Here, of the other here's, stuff. I here's what we do it. know.
0: What we do know is that five, six, eight years ago, uh, Facebook was making a big push for video. Mm-hmm. And they were playing all these games with the local providers. Because you'll remember what happened all the newspapers, right? That You had the newspapers. And then basically uh, Craigslist took away all their classifieds. Right. Which was, which was basically 80% of their revenue. Yep and so ads used to be the small piece and that was all they had right and then they started and then facebook started going after them and what we do know is that they falsified a bunch of information uh about the video they made video look much more popular you had all these companies and these comedy teams and all these people were turning everything into video to feed their content And then it was a lie. Then eventually they fixed the algorithm and everything tanked and then all that stuff tanked. Like the whole business went under because of how Facebook played games with metrics.
1: It seems like they're totally chill about playing games with metrics. But I mean, you know, on the other hand, if you can't trust a guy on some sort of surfboard type machine holding an American flag on the 4th of July while John Denver plays on the lake, who can you trust, you know? Wait, what's the what was the thing that F- Facebook they released a um a statement that was really dickish. What was that about? Yes. What am I so, thinking?
0: Of? Well, they had a spat with Biden because Biden said Facebook was killing people.
1: Oh, that's right. Right, right. Okay.
0: And he didn't actually said that. He said, they're killing people. Someone asked him about what's going on on Facebook. And he was talking really about the disinformation providers on Facebook who are killing people. Yes. Which is true. You know, you Absolutely. can prove it various ways that that disinformation. And then there's this whole debate. Is Facebook doing enough to counter the disinformation? Right. Or are they just, you know, is it, it's this whole free speech thing again, where people yeah. think the right to anonymously post. On the internet is guaranteed by the US Constitution.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it is really,
0: but I, th- these guys, there seems to
1: be this libertarian strain among the- <laughs> <laughs> I did, Didn't Voltaire write it in just that way? D- we demand the shitpost rights, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Merde de Post, I don't know. Um <laughs> I don't like this libertarian strain that these guys have. I feel like it's it's kind of an excuse in a way. Rand Paul does this all the time. I, I feel that Rand Paul uses libertarianism and libertarian and Randian kind of philosophy to justify the fact that he's basically does whatever Putin says. That he is as McCain called him said he was on the floor of the Senate working for Vladimir Putin. I feel like he likes to throw out words like engagement and it's great to have free speech and we need to all do this and that. They they throw out these kind of, kind of banal philosophies. These really, you're a philosophy major, you know, th- these are things that are not very deep, you know, and they try to justify everything based on this kind of childish view of the world, which is, I can say anything I want, fuck you. And that's, you know, I'm the CEO, bitch. That's Zuckerberg, right? I mean, that's the kind of mentality that we're dealing with with these people. And I, I don't know, it's, 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 it strikes me as dangerous because the one thing about libertarianism is that it doesn't account for communities of people and how the individual actions can impact in a negative way. And in, and in this case, a fatal way, um, real, actual, living, breathing people.
0: In a recent um, book excerpt uh, I read about Facebook, I think it was from The, the Ugly Truth, they it, it talked about how, you know, several places where Zuckerberg had, had disagreements with Sheryl Sandberg. Mm. Okay. And basically what happened in each case, he would give her responsibility for some area that he didn't really want to deal with, that he wasn't interested in doing. She'd go off and do it she talked all the parties they'd find a good compromise everyone was happy with it it was going to work for everybody and then he would come in and just say no we're just going to do it this way and and it was and it generally was political it was whatever you know either trump or putin would have wanted is pretty much what he did yeah yeah
1: <laughs> he looks very much like one of the old Roman emperors Gordian the third say one of the one of the ones who became emperor when he was like 18 and then the Praetorian guard killed by the time he was 25 that's who Zuckerberg looks like he doesn't strike me as you know that's intentional yeah I mean is he is he trying to look like a like a dipshit I mean I guess
0: he um apparently on his honeymoon he could not stop talking about the Roman emperors and how awesome they were
1: I did not know that, but that's not a that's not a surprise. He, he missed the part where they all got fucking killed for being idiots, though, right?
0: Yeah, he's convinced that he's going to rule over a two hundred year reign of peace of the Augustinian peace that's going to be brought in by Mark Zuckerberg. That's his own personal, um, hero story that he's playing out right now.
1: Oh my God, where's the Visigoths when you need them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Barbarians at the gate. I, I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. He really does look like these people. Certainly has the terrible haircut. And I, I don't it's, know what he was thinking going on that surf, whatever the hell that thing is, hydro board. I don't know what this fucking stuff is that these, these assholes. It's, it's,
0: it's an expensive, yeah, surfboard. I mean, at least he didn't go into space, I guess. You know, <laughs> My oldest memory is, you know, man walking on the moon and you know i remember that so to me this is all it's all silly they're not going into space they're going high in the sky they're not leaving the atmosphere they're not going into orbit
1: you know it i i was i happened to be sitting on the couch when this bezos thing happened with and both of my kids and my wife were there and i was like looking at twitter we were all on our phones because that's you know that's what happened and i'm like oh bezos is about to get launched into space wow this is happening and try to figure out like which one of the images of this rocket ship are real and which ones are just somebody superimposed a dildo and no they were all real so (laughs) then i i'm like oh he landed already you know that didn't seem my wife's like that didn't take very long and it occurs to me this is basically like he base it's six flags right he just this is the coolest ride ever at Six Flags. That's all that it is. It's a fucking, it's it's a theme park. It's it's space as
0: theme park. Well, and what's for gonna happen rich people. It's yeah, there's gonna be a bunch of rich assholes who are now gonna ride this thing so that they can be in some list of the astronauts. Is
1: that I mean, what what's the is it? that cool i don't i don't understand the appeal of this i i I don't know well do you
0: i mean do you like roller coasters sometimes but not
1: not enough that i would spend billions of dollars on a roller i mean (laughs) just to go you know okay fine you get to see the earth but i mean we have satellites
0: and shit like is it that (laughs) well i mean these guys are building businesses and they're they're just they're they're marketers i mean they're just doing the same thing i mean the space race was the u.s was marketing itself as whatever, you know, it was, it's all, it's all an op. It's always been an op.
1: We're, 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 we're really drifting into Blade Runner territory here, by the way, it just occurs to me because Blade Runner, if you recall, there's the ads for going off world, go off world, off world. <laughs> and everyone like good and, and and competent has already left. And the only people left on earth are like, you know, people that aren't allowed to go off world because they have some, something wrong with them or whatever. Um, I think that's what this and 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 the the, the replicants that are still there you know so we almost have replicants we're, we're gonna probably get the sex robots at some point like Daryl Hannah was in, in Blade Runner and we have our rich people zooming off to space they're gonna go to Mars or wherever I I, I don't know how, it seems like there's not much to drink up there or much to do I I, I don't you know I, I don't understand why you'd want to go to Mars and what you're gonna eat at a restaurant there you're gonna you know, catch a show. Look, like if I... these
0: guys were actually sending people to Mars, we would have a whole different conversation. That's not what's going on right now. That's you what I'm if... trying to tell you. This isn't space. They went <laughs> high in the sky. These are Icarus feasts is what this is. These are these are Icarus uh, tales that they are telling. And they are trying to fly high and, you know, and impress people that way. But there's nothing there that they're going to. To get anywhere, you have to get into orbit to be yeah. in a place. hmm and that's they they that's like ten times harder than what they just did. So, and why
1: would you leave? Like, if you're Jeff Bezos and you're worth eight gajillion dollars, why are you going to leave Earth,
0: man? You know, he's got it pretty he's, good down here. To me, what he's he's built a launch vehicle, right? So it yeah. can deliver something. Um, it can deliver a package anywhere in the world. That's so true. He's, so he's just demonstrated the capabilities of his worldwide uh, weapon delivery system. That's what this is about. Okay.
1: That's an ominous note. I...
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, it it, it really is. It, the space race at the first time around was the same thing.
1: Yeah. it's never and, Space stuff is never that far removed from military stuff, I suppose. It, it, it all goes
0: i was raised i was raised in this this is what my family did so that's what i mean like i'm looking at this this doesn't strike me as new or different and it's always it's always been dual use (sighs)
1: um i don't know maybe we all need to go up in space and come back and there'll be like monkey people here and you know well i
0: saw people were like oh can't we just enjoy the fact that those home guys have gone into space does everyone have to be so jaded about it and i'm like Thank God people are being jaded about this. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. It's a stunt. We've seen it before. You know, um, we can appreciate I mean, a lot of these rockets have like the, the ability to land like they can. That's an impressive engineering feat. That's been yeah. demonstrated before. And it's mm-hmm. neat to see that, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I, to me, I, I feel like it's more important now, as I see more of what's, these connections of what's going on, and that's what I'm hoping for, is that these dominoes, how far are they going to go you know are they going to is google going to get caught up are they going to get indictments are we going to see that's because that's what i don't know when i look at these things i say well there seems to be corruption it seems to be you know people are acting as if they're owned. well my hope is that that they that that we'll find out what's really going on with that kind of stuff because that's the thing i don't know the total answer with that with bezos or with with any of these guys but it seems like there's a layer that we don't know about there's
1: definitely layers we don't know about and is all of it above board probably not i mean whenever you get this much money this much i mean in the case of amazon it's the compute it's it's the servers that they have that are the real power i mean apart from right at-
0: so did you i don't know if you noticed but when that pegasus news came out uh it came out that they were running on amazon servers
1: sure they're the only and, powerful enough computers <laughs> to do it <laughs>
0: yeah well and then amazon quickly turned them off right yeah but um, yeah it was interesting just to see that that was right and that's you know as a software developer i mean amazon is a is a server platform if, you know if you want a job and you want to get good pay if you need a you know you need a an infrastructure to run your algorithms, your machine learning and all that kind of stuff. And Amazon, they provide that kind of stuff. That's what they do. That's one of their biggest businesses. And people don't see that because you can't go into the amazon.com and say, you know, type server farm or, you know, website infrastructure (laughs) or whatever. It's a a different piece of Amazon. It's their Amazon web services. It's a massive part of their revenues. Yeah. And, and, And
1: in terms of controlling all of us people here on earth, uh, as Yertle the turtle Bezos looks at the from on high uh, you know it's pretty damn powerful yeah, and that's
0: the thing like I have I have a question of how much was Amazon aware of what Pegasus was doing on their servers that's just an open question I have I, I do not know the answer to that at all but I'm it's something I'm curious about
1: which is I mean but that's even more interesting because Bezos himself is the target of a, of a, of a very prominent hack Right. Of his fucking phone so it's it yeah I don't know and I te- I tend to think he is less uh shady than than certainly than Zuckerberg or or Dorsey because you know he did make the company out of stuff I mean I think he's he's kind of as far as it goes I mean uh
0: Yeah I think I I agree with you except that I feel also like at this point, like Zuckerberg is being pushed out, and like they're all going to make an example of him, and then they're Good. all going to go back to doing the other way, you know. Yeah, and, sure. and and I do see this sometimes because like there was a time when like Bear Stearns, I don't know if you remember this, but they were the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they were the ones that were let let the hang and dry, yeah. and then everyone else went back to business as usual.
1: It's so somebody's always got to be the fall guy in the, in these kind of situations,
0: right? And so I feel like. Okay, is it really because they're the worst, or is it just because they did the worst job of covering it up?
1: <laughs> so that's why I
0: say that. But yeah, I mean, apparently Facebook, yes, there's a lot of obvious things that they have done that are bad, that they shouldn't be doing, that should be they, you know, we should be finding ways to to do something about. But I think
1: on a on a very basic level, like the fact, like being able to go on Facebook and see old friend, you know, all of that kind of stuff and communicate with people in that way is actually great. You know, there, there is, there's lots of things about it that are wonderful. It's just, they've taken this technology and they've twisted it into this evil thing. So um, my question is, can the federal government seize Facebook and run it as a state-owned utility? Because that's what I would like to see. Just get rid of all of this shit. And just, there's no more data anywhere. There's just people using the platform the way it's supposed to be
0: used. So it's a good question. So one on the short answer is no, they'd fuck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, And even if they were pretty good and didn't want to fuck it up, the people at Facebook would want to fuck it up. So they would, they would, you know, they would turn it into, you know, they would drive into the day. They would drive it into the ditch and say it was your fault. You Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so, but to me, this is kind of where, I go back, it's like, the problem is we don't have enough social media platforms. You don't, the problem is 10, 20 years ago, you needed to be a major software company to figure out how to build an effective social media platform. Nowadays, you don't. I mean, you saw how quickly, what's hard is to build a platform that has security and decent moderation and blah, 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 blah. But the software piece of it is actually a solved problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can rent some space on Amazon and set up some servers and, you know, and you can you can do it. So I and that's what I started thinking about this, because on the one hand, I've been trying to alarm people to about what's going on and saying this is bad and you need to be aware. But then at some point, it's like, well, how, how do we get to a better place? Right, because I want to be in a better place. I want to help other people get there, and that's where I've started thinking more and more. Like, well, what would we want? How would we build a better platform? Um, You know, if you need a place to—I mean, to be honest, I think if Instagram was separated from Facebook and you just—I don't know. Like Instagram, I think is better than Facebook. I think it—it is. I agree. It's just a more social, and there's a reason why young people move to it. Is because it is just it, it it's more appealing. So, um, so if you're moving to that instead of the Facebook model. The Facebook, to me, in terms of the information architecture, is that it's it's it creates bubbles. It creates closed gardens. Yes. And it's a great place if you need a lot of support and don't want to be challenged, and maybe you're in a vulnerable place in your life. Facebook's a great place to go. But what we've seen is that same insularity is what creates these politically bubbles and these radicalization engines. So that's, yeah. that's the problem with it, right? So on the one hand, and there's just the different pieces of what makes these things bad and dangerous. And you know, the reality is the government can't do something unless they both have uh, you know, they're a reason for why they're doing it. That's very clear right? Right. And, and, and justified in terms of what we use governments for. And then, and then they have to have a, a strategy that is actually going to work, yeah. too. And so that's what you look at. And, and I still think in my heart is the right thing is for people just that we need to be more creative and we need to create more things that are like Facebook, but different and separate and you know where we fix the things we don't like. We need more of these. Let's have a let's have a hundred social media platforms, and then talk about which ones were good and which ones weren't good and how ones were made better.
1: Okay, so what you're saying is we should all go get getter.
0: Well, I, I think it's going to be a continued process of going through. That's what I I guess there's there's they, the whole idea that like Twitter's not allowed to kick me off or Facebook's not allowed to kick me off, is that there's only a few good places to be. Right. Which is exactly what Twitter and Facebook want you to think. Yeah. Right, YouTube, any of these major platforms, right? Is they want, and so to me, the part of the solution is antitrust. Part of the solution is to break these things, break the connections, you know, why does Google have a dominant position in 10 different sectors? Yeah, yep. Right, And, and, and so to me, Antitrust is an effective tool. The law is in place. People understand it. We need to get better at learning how to apply it to high tech. But we've been doing this for a long time. IBM was, you know, they they uh, pled for antitrust violations. So did Microsoft. So there's no so the the there's a history of being able to hold high tech companies to account for antitrust violations.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's you know, and we we can close on that because I think this is you know again it's it 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 marvels me how much stuff that we're going through now is stuff that we've gone through before. Right from the you know the the I've talked about this before uh, on the pod and I've written about it before, but the disinformation campaigns and the bias, the fake news and the newspapers that are out for a specific outcome. That happened, you know, Fox News is not new. We did this in, in the 1890s in the run-up to the Spanish-American War. That's how the media was at that time. That was the Hearst,
0: and the Hearst Publications.
1: The Hearst Publications and the Pulitzer one, vying for, you know, wh- who could be more lurid and horrible. And Hearst at least paid his people better and, and poached everybody from, but anyway, and then the New York Times came along and said, no, that's not how we want to do it. We want to just say all the news that's, fit to print meaning not fucking bullshit you know we're going to fit we're going to print the news that's fit to print and you can you could read that a thousand ways it's a wonderful slogan we're starting to see a repeat of that now the same time period you have the steel US steel you know these these companies that that hit and and standard oil and, uh, you know, that, that fell afoul of, of, of the, uh, the, the, you know, the antitrust laws and, and it had to be broken up. But there's a long history of this. It absolutely needs to happen in tech world. And I
0: think the sooner, the better. I agree. So what, what's the title of your book again? Oh, it's called Lessons Learned in Software Testing. It's a good book to get if you are being hired by a company to test their software for them.
1: It's not an ironic title. It's not like a, like a hipster title. Like it's not reservoir dogs, but it's it's not about dogs around a body of water.
0: It's just it is it is a book by and four nerds.
1: <laughs> a book by and four nerds. Okay. So Brett Petticord, check him out. His book is on Amazon. He's on Twitter at B Petticord. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me on the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Greg. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Sophia Tarashenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signatella, Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Alison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall
0: prevail.